Well, we are glad for those staff and families that are here and for those of you joining online as we think about regathering over the next few weeks. Uh, and what are we going to need and what is it going to look like? What are the two essentials when it really comes down to it that we feel like as a church we need as we regather together? I think Paul lays them out for us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, as he challenges us in two aspects. He prays that this church would be strengthened by the Spirit and overwhelmed by God's love. And if there's anything that we need as we come back over the next two weeks, over the next few weeks, it is the moving of God's Spirit in our life, the strength that He brings, and the love of God overflowing and outpouring in our lives. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just came back and recognized, hey, we're not going to have a full worship center, but our hearts are going to be full because of the work of the Holy Spirit and because of the love of God working in our life. That's my prayer. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Ephesians chapter 3 as we think about praying for your church and what does that look like for us. And to take this passage, and I want to encourage you to take this passage and begin to pray that for people that you know or pray this even for your church. Ephesians chapter 3, pick up with me in verse number 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ. Amen which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. With that, let's take a moment and pray together. God, would you speak to us today and would you challenge our hearts, challenge our prayer lives. And God, may the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 be true in our heart and life. God, would you give us strength in the Spirit, overflow us with your love. In your name, amen. As Paul is coming to the conclusion of Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4 is going to turn the corner and he's going to begin this large section on application. And the key word in Ephesians 4 through 6 is going to be that word walk. I want you to walk this way. I want you to live this way. But before you get there, I want you to reflect back on what I have taught you and now I'm going to pray for you. And this is how he closes this section on doctrine in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. And as Paul prays in verse number 14, it says that he goes down to his knees before the Father. There is this sense of dependence and this sense of earnestness and this sense of reverence as Paul gets on his knees before the Father, crying out to God on behalf of this church in Ephesus. There is this humility that Paul realizes that, that he has to, to humble himself so that God can work and God can show himself strong. So that as we think about this passage, Paul then begins to lay out and say, man, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for God's strength in the spirit and the overflowing of God's love. 
So that's Paul's first request. He says, I'm praying my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is my prayer. Notice with me what he prays in verse number 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that we would be strengthened by God's spirit that we would first be strengthened by God's Spirit. Now, he prays that through God's riches and God's glory that they would be strengthened through the Spirit in the inner man. Now, in our day-to-day, we, we look a lot at the outside, outward appearances. We, we think and say, man, you know, I want to look strong. I want to, to, to be beautiful. And we put a lot on outward appearances. But Paul is not merely praying for an outward uh, sensation. He's not praying for outward characteristics. He's praying that, that God would strengthen them through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. The word strength means obviously to be strong, but it gives a picture of endurance, strength, energy to act, that God would give them this endurance and this strength and this energy to act out whatever he calls them to in his will. And it would not just merely be an outward expression, but it would be an inward strength that drives them with great energy and passion to do what God wants them to do. So, Paul, as he begins to pray, he says, Father, I'm going to my knees. God, I'm praying for them to be strengthened through your spirit in the inner man. Now, as we again think about the external appearances, that's really what everybody looks at today. We put our Facebook posts on and put a picture of ourselves, and now we've got all these new Facebook avatars and we try to dress ourselves up and, and we want to look good on the outside. Even in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Samuel, when he was called in 1 Samuel 16 to go to Jesse's house to find a new king, Saul had been rejected, and he goes into Jesse's house, and in 1 Samuel 16, as he goes to Jesse's house, he sees Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and he says, man, this looks like this should be the next king. This looks like the guy. I can see his appearance. Man, he's he's tall and 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 strong and he has that that look like he ought to be the leader of the people and the lord says uh uh-uh. uh no in first samuel 16:7 the lord says hey don't don't just look at his outward appearance so man looks at the outward appearance but i've refused him see man is focused on the external but i look at the heart i don't see like man sees man just sees the outside i'm looking at the inside And so, even Samuel the prophet can just look at the outside and we can get in that trap as well. We can put our smile on. Sometimes it's hard to see a smile under a mask. But you can put your smile on, you put your church clothes on, and you come to church and you make everything on the outside look like it's okay when the inside can be falling apart. Paul is praying for our inner man. He's praying for our spiritual life, our spiritual strength. What's going on on the inside, the real you. Not just the external picture of, of who you try to project. And there's a lot of that that goes on in our world. We just want to project that we've got it all together. We want to look like we, we are doing well. When on the inside, we're falling apart. And Paul is praying for the inside. Don't you find it interesting that as Paul prays for believers, primarily through the, the New Testament, 
He almost always prays for their spiritual needs and the inner man, not just the externals. But what do we do when we come to pray? We, all, we almost always, the first thing that we think about are all the physical needs that are going on around us. And there are a lot of them right now. But the truth of the matter is, is Paul is praying for what is spiritual and what is eternal in our heart. He prays for strength of the Holy Spirit out of this rich treasure of God's strength that we would experience this strength and endurance and this energy to move forward in God's spirit in the inner man, that it would come from the inside out, not some outward projection that might just give a false reading to others. But not only does he pray for their strength, he goes on in, in verse 16 into verse 17 as he prays that, that they would be strong in the inner man. Notice verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays for the settling of Christ in their hearts. First he prays, man, I'm praying that you would be strong, that the Holy Spirit would give you strength in your inner man. Then I pray that the settling, that Christ would be able to settle in your heart through faith. The settling of Christ in your heart. Now what does it mean that when when, when he prays that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith? Sometimes we think, is this an evangelistic prayer? We talk about people asking Jesus to come into their heart and life. Well, this is not an evangelistic prayer, but, but the truth of the matter is, is, is we want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. That we as believers, we want people to understand that Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross for all the things that we have done wrong. We want people to understand that. But Paul here is praying that Christ would settle in our hearts that he'd be able to dwell and settle down there. Last weekend on Mother's Day, Julie and I went to my parents' house. And uh, normally when I go to my parents' house, I knock twice on the door and then I just walk in. I don't wait them for them to answer. I live there, so, so I just knock, knock, and hey, it's me, I'm coming in. And, and I feel very at home there. Don't mind sitting in the rocking chair, kicking back. I don't mind going to the refrigerator. And uh, don't mind looking in the pantry to see what she has to eat. Don't mind doing those kinds of things. I feel very at home there. And that's the picture here, that Christ would be at home in your heart. Now, most of the time when someone comes to our house, you know, they knock on the door and we allow them to come in and we say, come on in here and we have them sit in the living room for a while. And then, OK, now we're going to go into the dining room and eat. But listen, we, we don't take I don't take and show them the, the laundry room. I, I don't take them upstairs and show them the boys rooms. They wouldn't want to see the boys rooms. So anyway, when, when we get that picture, see. Christ, you can dwell in the living room, you can come dwell in the kitchen, you can, you can come into the dining room, but here the picture is, is my life is like a house that has complete open access to Jesus Christ. He can go anywhere. He can go into the laundry room. He can look in the corners of my life. He can open all the closet doors. He can look at anything in my life, open any door, be open to anything, so that he is at home in my life. And that's the picture. So Paul prays for them to have strength in the spirit, but that Christ would be able to settle down and live and be at home in their life. Can I ask you, is Christ at home in your life? Are there rooms that are off limits? Are there corners that you steer him from? 
Are there drawers that you wouldn't want him to open? Is Christ at home in our life? That's, that's a key picture. As we think of, of, of God moving in our life and the Spirit strengthening our life, it is all because Jesus Christ has complete access to all of our life. And that's what he wants, that we would be strengthened by God's Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would give us strength and that Christ would be able to dwell in every part of our life. There's a man named Robert Munger wrote a little book, My Heart, Christ's Home. He talks about... Christ having the freedom to go into the kitchen of my life and to see my appetites and to go into the living room of my life and see what kind of entertainment I'm putting in and the library of my life to, to open his, uh, to open up my, my rooms to see what I'm reading and looking at. The picture is, is the question that is before us is as Paul gets on his knees and prays for this church, I'm praying for God's spirit to move in your life and I'm praying for Christ to settle in every area of your life. And the truth of the matter is this. Whether you invite Christ into the corners of your life or you open the closets, he knows them. He knows where they are. He knows everything about you. He knows what's going on. And so what we're doing is we're inviting Christ into those areas to clean out the junk and to fill his presence. But sometimes people want to hold on to something. I don't want to empty that closet and let go of that anger or that resentment or that bitterness. That person hurt me and I, I, I want to get him back. I don't want to forgive them. This sin over here, I, I don't want to let go of. And, and so I'm, I'm just going to keep that door closed. And Christ knows that it's there. And he says, open up. Let me come in. Let me straighten your life. Quit playing just a game. No more just phony smiles and, and church clothes. Are you willing to get real? And that's Paul's prayer. He prays that they would be strengthened by God's Spirit. But then he prays that they would be overwhelmed by God's love. Not only would they experience the strength of His Spirit, but that they would be overwhelmed by God's love. Notice with me that that uh, end of verse number 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, that they would be overwhelmed by God's love. And as we're thinking about being overwhelmed by God's love, he prays that they would be rooted and grounded in that love. He takes a term from agriculture and a word from architecture. The word from agriculture is that you would be rooted. You would be like a tree that would drive its roots down into the water and is there down deep into the earth so that they could gain water and they're strong and they can face the storms of life. The word grounded there gives the picture of a an architect laying out a foundation and saying, look, this foundation is going to be strong. I'm making sure that the building on top of this is going to be strong. And so he says, may you be rooted in love. Maybe you be rooted and grounded in God's love. Maybe it, uh, may, may God's love be that undergirding force that holds your life together, that sustains you through the challenges of life. 
In Matthew chapter 7, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of Matthew chapter 7, I think around verse number 24 and following, he closes Matthew 7 and he gives a, a, a story about two men, one who builds on a rock and one who builds on sand. And he says about the one who builds on a rock, he says, for the one who hears these words and does them, he is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. There again, the picture of architecture, the picture of a building, uh, being a house being laid upon a strong foundation. Here, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, may your life be built upon the foundation of God's word, that you hear it and that you do it and that your life is built upon it. And then in Ephesians, 3, Paul prays that our life would be built upon God's love so that God's, God's word and God's love is that sustaining foundation of our life no matter what we face, no matter when we face it, we're going to be able to stand because of the word of God and the love of God. That's the picture that we find in the Bible. Can I tell you, the last 8 to 10 weeks, we've been in a storm. People have, have, have had all kinds of physical storms that have come into their life. There have been financial storms that have come into people's lives. 30 plus million people are now unemployed. There are, are huge financial ramifications to, to unemployment that, that streak throughout all the areas of different society. There are national and international storms that come especially right now. Again, this is an international challenge. We're facing uh, an election year. There will be political storms that will no doubt rise up this year. But the truth of it is, is our life and our foundation is not built on Washington, D.C. Our life and foundation is not built on what's in our bank account. Our life and foundation is not built on, on even my own physical strength. My life and the foundation of my life is God's word and God's love. That is what's going to hold my life in place when the storms come. So then we have to ask, is God's word and God's love something that I'm really working at and thinking about and meditating on so that when that wind blows in my life personally, and can I tell you, your biggest storm in life is yet to come. I think that's true for everyone in here. That's true for everyone that's that's watching. I would say the vast majority, probably 99 plus percent of us, our biggest storm is yet to come. And, and when that storm comes, if we've built our life on sand and emotion, it's going to crash. If we build our life on God's word and God's love, we're going to stand. That's the picture. We're rooted in love. But not only are we rooted in love, but we are also surrounded by love. We're surrounded by love. He prays that we would know the width and the depth and the, the, uh, the width and the length and the depth and the height of his love. That we would know the width of his love. The width, how wide is God's love? God's love is so wide that John 3, 16 reminds us, God so loved the world. That no matter what nation, tribe, nationality, tongue we come from, God loves us. He loves the 
world. It doesn't make any difference what our, our socioeconomic level is or what our skin color is. The picture is God loves the world. He prays that they would understand the width of God's love, but not only the width of God's love, but the length of God's love. How long is God's love? Well, Jeremiah 31.3 says that God has loved us with an everlasting love. In 1 Corinthians 13.8, it says love never fails. How long is God's going, love going to last? It's going to last for all eternity. His love is not going to run out. He's not just got a little bit left. He's got an infinite supply. And the length of his love is eternal and it is unconditional. But what about the depth of his love? How deep is his love? Every time I say how deep is his love, I get the Bee Gees going through my mind. You know, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? So that's totally unspiritual, but it is just what happens. Uh, so how deep is God's love? God's love is so deep that in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet he became poor. He was in heaven, and he came to earth, humbled himself, became a, stepped into humanity, and became a servant, and died on the cross, and uh, faced a, a, a horrific, tormentuous death. So how deep is it? His love would leave heaven, come to earth, face the crucifixion, go to an empty tomb so that he would rise. And so that, listen, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that Jesus went all the way to death and life so that he could bring us from our spiritual death to life. That's how deep his love goes. But how high does his love go? His love when we come to know him, will carry us all the way to heaven. He prays that they would know the width and the length and the depth and the height of his love. And then as he pictures this love, notice what, what he says in, in verse number 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He prays that they would be uh, experienced, or that they would experience and that they would grow in his love, that they'd be experienced in love. He tells us that this love passes knowledge. In other words, he's saying, you're not going to be able to just comprehend it. So I'm praying that you would be able to experience this pass a knowledge. It's hard to put God's word, uh, God's love into words. I mean, how do you describe an infinite, eternal, unconditional Love. I mean, how, how do we as believer think if I would bring home a glass of, of ocean water and say, this is the ocean, how, how do you describe the, the waves that come in moment by moment? How do you describe these, these enormous, uh, gigantic waves that come in with such power and force? See, he says, you're, you're not ever going to be able to, to fully acknowledge this love. It, it's, it's too, too deep for you. It's too infinite for you. But I pray that you'd experience it. And let me tell you how we consistently experience it. We meditate on it and we think about it and we remember where we have been. Where would you be today without God's love? Some of you came to know Christ as a child or a student or an adult. But where would you be today without God's love? 
You look back and you think about your life. What has God's love carried you through? What deep valleys have you gone through? What mountains have you had to trek across? It is meditating on the love that God has for us and that he's displayed for us through Christ. And it's not just saying, oh, I have it all here, but it's opening up my heart and saying, God, fill my life with your love. And he goes on at the very end of verse, uh, in, in the end of verse number 19, and he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be matured in love that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, how do you fill your life with the fullness of God or the fullness of God's love? Have you ever talked to somebody who was just filled with rage, filled with anger? I remember a few years ago, I had talked with somebody and they were just uh, irate. I mean, extremely mad. I mean, they were really mad. I mean, they were, they were mad enough to be scary, kind of mad. And their anger just dominated and controlled their speech and their body language. And I really thought that this person might try to hurt me. Filled. But they were filled with anger and rage, and it showed, so it came out in their life. And here's the picture. When I am filled with the fullness of God and his love, it is going to come out in my actions, my words, my deeds. So that when I am dominated and controlled by God's love, my life's going to look different than it would as I live in the flesh. I am living now dominated by the presence and the love of God in my life. So my Thought life and my actions and my words and my deeds are going to be different. And you know what happens when God fills my life and my words, actions, deeds are different? It's called spiritual maturity. God controls me. And that's what he prays for these believers. Challenges are coming. We're in the midst of challenges. Over the next few weeks, we're going to face more and more. But here's my prayer again for our church. That if we can't experience the fullness, everyone here, that we'd at least experience the fullness of God in our heart. And I want to experience that. I want to be able to walk in the strength of the Spirit, overwhelmed and filled with the love of God, so that my life can be different. And I pray that that's your heart too. And wouldn't it be amazing that as people came back, if they saw that we were filled with the strength of the Spirit and overwhelmed and filled with the love of God in our, in our life, in our words, in our encouragement, in our actions, in our ministry, in our giving, oh, how our church would look different as we regather. The challenge to you is, will you pray for the strengthening of the Spirit and the overwhelming sense of God's love and will you seek to live that out in your own life? That's my prayer. I pray it's yours as well. And with that, let's take a moment and pray together. God, would you take our church and Lord, would you, would you fill us with fresh strength of the Holy Spirit? Maybe like we've never experienced before. 
God, give us strength to endure. God, give us energy to press on. Give us a fresh vision and a fresh focus, fresh power in the name of Jesus and through the power of Jesus. God, help us not just to to look on the outward appearance, but inwardly to know that you're with us and that you're strengthening us. And God, I pray for an overwhelming sense of your love in our life. God, a fresh touch of your love that we never get over. Lord, that fills us, that we begin to, to not only sense in our life, but we share with others. And Lord, until you come, may those two essentials, the strengthening of your spirit and the overwhelming sense of your love, lead us as we walk for Jesus, minister for Jesus, speak for Jesus, give to Jesus in your name. Amen.